So this is um, in, from the book of John, and it's the, the first resurrection appearance in this book, um, uh, and the first person to see Jesus after he's, she finds that, well, you'll hear what happens, but it's Mary Magdalene. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying and one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. I'm going to read for a little bit, not the whole time, just because I don't want to ramble too much. So, good morning. Hail Satan. <laughs> April Fools. Uh, if, I was thinking how to integrate April Fools in like a clever way with uh, the theme of the sermon, you know, the wisdom of the fools. Like, but I was just like, so it's out of there. We don't have to, no thematic integration other than that. Um, so if, if, believing, if believing in the resurrection of Jesus were easy, there would be no need for Easter. If anyone ever tells you, yes, of course I believe in you know, Christ risen, or of course I believe in eternal life, um, or I've got complete faith, ironclad faith in this stuff, um, ask them if they go to church on Easter, or any Sunday for that matter, because why would you need to hear it again if your belief were solid? Um, I'm supposed to preach good news to you, um, and the sort of the central piece of information on which the entire Christian faith supposedly rests, um, which is uh, the resurrection. If you read like a lot of the New Testament, the letters of Paul, who's kind of the first uh, community organizer, church planter in the, the history of Christianity, um, the resurrection is what it's all about. It's what motivates him. It's why um, what has happened is something different from the normal course of events. Something new has happened on the scene. Something new about God that affects all of our lives. But, so I'm supposed to talk about this, but I'm not even someone who's got like pretty good faith in this piece of news, um, who just needs like a gentle nudge once in a while to get back into that solid, uh, sturdy faith. I'm act I'm, you could say I'm in love in a certain way with the Christian tradition, with the Bible, these stories, with Jesus even, although um, you probably won't hear me utter the words, like the sentence, I love Jesus, um, because as soon as I start saying those words, a little puke will come up into my mouth and muffle the, the sound of those words, um, uh, which is something I think some of you in this church share. We did a little market research focus group um, a month or two ago about what people think of when they hear the words Jesus Christ. And 
talked about um, disgust or repulsion. Uh, and, and I think they would say that it's not necessarily the, the, the person of Jesus, as if you read about him in the Gospels, that, that causes that, but all the people who've claimed to do things in his name, all the associations that have gotten stuck to, to that name um, over the centuries, millennia, um, the past year, you know, that uh, still, after everything, 87% of evangelical Christians support Trump. Maybe it's 85%. It's in the mid-80s. Um, but if to love means to be continuously drawn to, to be endlessly fascinated by, to admire, um, to be in awe of, and also to never be able to completely get your hands around, to, to completely grasp or pin down, to be struck also by the unknowable, unknowable mystery, the elusiveness of the beloved, and to from time, also from time to time be annoyed or perturbed by, to be furious with. If that's what love is, then I guess there's no use denying it. I lo love <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay, I'm okay. Um, it's just that this problem that, uh, that, that we talked about makes, um, makes that really difficult to, um, to, to, to actualize, to make real. Um, first of all, it's hard to spend enough time thinking about this ghostly historical figure. I mean, um, we, we talk, we can admire the ideals of Jesus or what he represented. We can, um, uh, you know, say, oh yeah, sure, he was a, a good man like others, but in order for, what I, kind of what I want to say is like, in order for this story, um, like today of the resurrection appearance to kind of make sense or to hit us in some way, we need to try to grapple with what it would mean to love this figure enough to be um, not just saddened, but uh, shaken to our core um, at his death. Um, so, it's funny, you know, like I said before, for most Christians throughout history, this genre of story, these resurrection appearances, are the kind of center and the core of the whole thing. This is what, uh, sort of the linchpin, the capstone of what holds the Christian faith together, the reason for the church in the first place. Ironically, for a lot of liberal and progressive Christians, um, that's not at all the case. It's, it's more the stories of Jesus' life where um, the kinds of people Jesus hung out with, who he invited to the table to share meals with. Um, I think maybe a lot of people in Root and Branch, those are the stories about Jesus that do resonate more with us. Jesus um, uh, welcoming in the stranger, the outsider, the marginal. Um, Jesus hanging out with nasty women, with uh, the disabled, with the poor, with um, people from other ethnic groups. Um, that's the Jesus we can maybe think, uh, yeah, I could, I could think about loving that Jesus. Um, but so what I want to say is that I think that the liberal Christians have that picture of Jesus, right? I don't think Jesus' ma uh, main feature is to create a bunch of Christians who are uh, insiders, who um, are the good ones. Um, 
his main point is not to judge those who are different or on the outside. Um, so our picture of Jesus is right, but our love for him is tepid, and thus our ability to understand the significance of Easter story is weakened, is, is more difficult. I think we're right to see a connection um, on the recommendation of a couple of root and branchers who talked about uh, this in a welcome table and on Facebook. Sarah Ann, you mentioned on Facebook, crying after every episode of Queer Eye. Um, so I, I watched it. <laughs> During the whole, from start to finish, yeah. Um, well, I would like to add my testimony to that. Um, I watched last night the rest of the one where it's an evangelical Christian Southern family in Georgia. They're in, always in Georgia. Um, and, and, you know, totals like um, Slobovian and, you know, like dis disheveled, unkempt. And the, f the, the Fab Five, like, totally make over, not just his appearance, but like his, his soul in a way. He like has this amazing confidence. He he's, tries harder for his wife. He screwed something up. Um, and at the end, they're all in tears. And like, there's this beautiful um, love across uh, difference. Um, uh, these people who are, who, who are supposed to think the other is, hates them. <laughs> um, and of course, yeah, I was, I was a, I was a, little crying baby. Like, it was, it was beautiful. That's, I think, you know, the liberal Christian uh, drawing of a line from the love of Jesus and what Jesus was about to that kind of love is right. I'm, I'm, I want to stand behind that. So thanks for the recommendation. Um, but I want to suggest that we're going to miss out on something big for our lives, big for our lives of wanting to be committed to justice and, and um, that kind of love I'm talking about if we pass over the resurrection stories as some kind of primitive uh, folk tales uh, alone with nothing to say to us now that, oh, that maybe made sense for a, like a kind of more um, childlike understanding of the way the world works. But now that we have modern science and historical studies, that uh, that's just kind of Maybe a nice metaphor, you know, winter becomes spring, but, but not um, the stuff it's grappling with, uh, the death and dissolution of, of bodies and what that means for how we live um, and love. Um, that's wrong. There's something, these people knew that bodies were made out of little parts that came apart when you died. Um, so there's a problem. Uh, there's a problem that makes it hard for us to, um, ex I think the same problem that makes life hard, that makes life kind of, unless life is really awesome and easy for you all the time, like that's, that's really great, you should be up here. <laughs> um, but uh, the same problem that makes life difficult is related to the problem of why we can't why it's hard to believe in or um, even kind of tentatively approach the possibility of, of resurrection or talking about something eternal, eternal things, eternal life. And that problem is this. It, is, it, it has to do with um, 
primitiveness. So the social psychologists have this, uh, at least some of them, have this way of thinking about how we structure our beliefs about the world. All right, and um, the way uh, I understand it is that we have two basic kinds of belief about the world. One is our primitive beliefs, and those are kind of below the surface, um, unconscious, unreflected on, and not challenged because everyone around us tends to share them. And these beliefs um, are, thing, are basic beliefs about the kind of continuance and reliability of our self, of like as, like as a self, like our identity, like through time I'm still me, about the physical world around us, the kind of stability, like basically like um, it's gonna be there uh, tomorrow, and about others, about society, that there's something like people in our lives are also relatively stable. So my daughter Glory um, j just turned one last month, or I guess, yeah, last month, um, and she illustrates this really well. That's when we start to form these primitive beliefs. And not primitive in the sense of uncivilized or, or like unscientific, but primitive in the sense of like basic or um, primary. So if you've observed babies, this is obvious to you too. But so the first thing, um, so one thing that babies do, right, is play peekaboo. And um, this is like where they're learning that, oh, like even if I don't see, my parent or the other person, um, the, the reason it brings such joy is like, they're still there. Like, there's some stability, there's some permanence, object permanence. Um, she loves also, she's got very few words. Um, well, first of all, her first word was high. So uh, uh, it's the sweetest thing you'll ever hear. Um, hi. Um, and she says, this is kind of the telling the story of how we uh, form these beliefs. She says hi to people, everybody. Um, not special, you know, she'll say hi to the waiter just as excitedly as to me. Um, but uh, she'll also say hi to objects. So like everything's kind of a little bit of a soup right now. Hi to, hi to the book. Um, but she's starting to learn words and ball is another one. So another thing she loves to do is point to a ball and say, ball, and look at me. Like, is this thing that we used to call a ball still a ball, ball, ball? And that's how we start to think, oh, like things in the world stay what they are over time. Like the physical world is reliable. Um, the people in my life are up. So now she's starting to say um, uh, dada. And that was the day, that's like the top five moments in my life when I came home um, from working here. Hi, dada. Hi, dada. I was like, me? That's me? dada? Like, um, and, uh, but dada, I think at this point still means parental figure insofar as you're not breastfeeding me. So sometimes she says dada to refer to Allison as well. And sometimes she'll say mom uh, and reach for my breast and look at me kind of like disappointedly. Um, <laughs> and then say up and point over having me walk over here. Um, so, and that's my interpretation of when it says father in this story, I think father, dada, it's something more like not just male, um, before we kind of push those apart. Um, but my point is that this is a process that happens where we form these primitive beliefs about the stability um, of, of ourselves in relation to physical objects that are also stable and other people who are, have some kind of continuance in time.
Um, and then on the, the, so that's one class, the primitive, on the, above that, in the sort of more conscious realm, we have non-primitive beliefs, um, which are uh, three main types also. Uh, one's about authority, like who can we trust to tell us things about the world? Fox News, New York Times. Um, the other one is, uh, they're called like peripheral, peripheral beliefs, beliefs that kind of trickle down from those authorities that form our sort of overall picture of uh, the way things are, the way they should be, our ideology. Um, and then a third one is inconsequential beliefs, which is like, what's the best restaurant? Where's the best place to go to vacation? Um, it's like part of our picture of the world, um, but has the least sort of wide-ranging ramifications on the whole picture. So it turns out like with this kind of structure, I wish I had a whiteboard or an overhead, but we've got the primitive beliefs down here, and then the authority, the peripheral like ideology, and then the inconsequential. It, it turns out like the lower down, the further down you go, the harder it is to change those beliefs about the world. And the more disruptive and kind of terrifying and disorienting it is to have those beliefs shaken the more it kind of turns us upside down and leaves us groping and not know what's up or down. Um, so if, if you've anyone, I love watching Fox News. If you've watched Fox News over the past couple of years, you've noticed this amazing thing where all of a sudden they have this, you know, kind of as Trump ascended, uh, all of a sudden they love talking about how bad corporations are. These corporations, then like they're, um, you know, pulling advertisements, uh, or they're like pulling, you know, the stuff with the NRA. You have these kind of corporations. Suddenly, Fox News is anti-corporate, but <laughs> but because the, a lot of people still trust that authority, they can change these other smaller beliefs like that. Now, I think the way a lot of people think about faith in God or beliefs about theological things like resurrection, eternal life, they. Um, tend to think about those beliefs as being uh, these above ground ones. These beliefs, um, first of all, maybe come from an authority, like a trusted authority. Maybe it's like the authority of the Bible, the authority of their parents, the authority of their community, the authority of a pope, a priest, a guy wearing a cool <laughs> stole. Um, uh, and from there, the kind of picture, these peripheral beliefs like, oh, um, God is a trinity, um, the resurrection happened, kind of trickle down from there, from those authorities. Um, and I think that's also, that, that's true like, from both sides. People who are like in it, in religion, and people who kind of are maybe on the fringes or on the outside tend to think that's what it means, that's what belief in God is like. It's like other beliefs in the world. It's like our belief um, that uh, taxes are bad or like our belief that um, Antarctica exists, which we got on authority from our teachers in grade school. It's like one of these kind of beliefs you can hold on to, talk about relatively easily, and um, and grasp in a certain way. And I think that's why it's hard for people who are maybe curious or interested or want to have more of a spiritual orientation or a belief, why it can be so um, 
confounding. And so uh, I just can't, like, how do you like get that belief? It just doesn't make sense. And I don't believe this old book has all the answers to everything. I just, it's wrong about all this stuff. It's offensive in all these ways. This, so this story in here has a lot more going on than you might at first think. Um, it's about that stuff. It's about, first of all, how difficult it is to believe, how difficult it is to change your beliefs when new evidence happens, and about our tendency to want these beliefs to be easily graspable things, but actually um, the kind of thing resurrection is talking about is more on that lower level or even below. So Mary, um, uh, Mary Magdalene is the first to see the risen Jesus. First she sees the empty tomb. And these are not people like we tend to think, oh, they're like these credulous, naive, you know, ancient people. Oh, like magic is happening, and then I'll believe it. She, she has a very rational, she's like, her whole world is turned upside down. She's freaking the F out. She's really scared. Imagine like if your, um, if your community, like if tomorrow you went to the website and Root and Branch is closed, and all your friends were like, eh, we're not, we don't want to be friends with you anymore. And like your family died and Obama died like all in the same day, maybe. <laughs> that might get at sort of what, what these folks are feeling, like the kind of like everything they're kind of that they thought was stable and that they thought was going to happen, this kind of new era of justice and um, dignity. Like all of it is down the tubes. This man they love has been killed in like this horrible way and they feel a ton of guilt that they didn't stand with him. Um, Mary goes to tend to the body and the, the tomb is empty. She runs, finds Peter and this unnamed disciple. They come running. There's this like scramble, kind of chaotic, like one is running ahead, but then he's like freaks out, I can't look. And Peter goes first and he, he looks in and they have to stoop down to see it. It's this low opening in the stone and um, he sees, I have a visual aid. This is really weird, but he sees um, two piles of cloth. One is, this is, a, um, <laughs> this is a white robe I got at a church discount, like clothing store for my internship. We had to wear like a white robe on Easter and I've never used it again, but I'm gonna use it again today and just throw it on the ground like that <laughs> as a visual aid that I'm never gonna wear it again. Um, it looks like a KKK thing, by the way. Um, and, uh, and so there's like this linen cloth here. And then the other one, um, depending on the translation, is either rolled or folded up. And that was probably the head or like handkerchief scarf that covered Jesus's dead head. That's gruesome. And that's like over here or something. They're like, we're told they're in two different places. It's this weird detail. And people don't know what it means. There these, my mom sent me a Facebook meme that's like, totally bogus, thought, oh, in Hebrew tradition, that means the person's coming back. It's like when you put a lid on your cup at the bar, like, if you did that, it meant you were coming back. Jesus is returning. It's like totally false. That's not true at all. Um, what does this mean? No one really knows. My guess, your guess is as good as mine, why they talk about the location of these two white cloths. But those guys see that, run away, 
we're told they maybe believe, but they run home. Mary is weeping, crying, and she looks down in and she sees, we're told not two white cloths, but two gleaming angels, two guys in like gleaming clothes. That's how the angels are talked about in other gospels too. Um, so my first assumption is that she's in such a state that she's hallucinating. She sees, she's, she sees these two pieces of white cloth talking to her, saying, "Why, woman, why are you crying? Um, and she says, the guard, the, someone, someone took my master, someone took him, I can't find him, where did he go? And then she hears, she turns around and she sees a figure, and we're told this is Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. So first of all, she's seen what she thinks are two angels, but she still doesn't like believe. She's not like this credulous, you know, primitive person who's like, oh, the angels are here. Everything must be okay. She's hallucinating angels and she's still like, Jesus is dead. You know, a lot of us think like if, if you have, people must have some kind of supernatural or special vision. That's why they believe in stuff. That's where they get this magical conviction. That's not enough. And then she sees Jesus himself and that's, she's still like, doesn't recognize him. She literally sees the physically re resurrected Jesus and that doesn't give her belief. We think we need this like, or, or either we think people who are religious have these crazy experiences and that why, that's why they believe, or we think we need some kind of extraordinary experience like that but maybe more rationalistically to believe. That's not enough. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? who are you looking for? And she says, again, like she thinks it's the gardener. It's like, where did you take him? Give him to me, I, wanna, I want his body. In her grief, she thinks at least if she has his physical body, that will be somehow closer, that she'll somehow, um, that death won't be as devastating. And then what is it, what is it that makes her actually see the resurrection, it's not until he says her name. It says Mary. And then she's like, she says, Rabuni, teacher. She's seen, she's seen, she's asked why is she crying? She's seen in her despair and he knows her name. And that's what allows her to see. Um, and that's what uh, she still wants to hold on to that. He says, don't, don't cling to me, don't grasp me. Don't grasp, cling to this, even this like experience you're having. I haven't yet ascended to my father. I haven't yet gone back to that place where the cr one who created all of this is. I haven't, um, you seeing me in this form is still in this realm of the beliefs up here about the arrangement of things. Uh, I haven't gotten down to that deep spring from where um, our basic understanding of the world is, the, the, the givenness of how things happen to us is, um, the fact that uh, this place where right now in our daily lives we feel a 
continuous cognitive dissonance between, on the one hand, this thing we learn as infants that things kind of stick around. People stick around, objects stick around. And what we somehow learn along the way, this other basic fact of things that they don't, they eventually don't, they eventually go away. That, that physic, we've seen physical stuff dissolve and fall apart and we know we're physical and we fall apart. We've maybe seen people, we maybe had pets who died or loved ones who've died. We maybe moved, you know, things disappear. We kind of sit and go through life with this dissonance at the level of our primitive beliefs, this irresolvable tension, this kind of absurd paradox that on the one hand, things are good and they stick around. On the other hand, they go down and fall apart. Um, and what happens, also psychology, when we have that dissonance, the major way we deal with that unease, that uncomfortable contradiction, is we avoid the thing that is dissonant with our sense of reality. So if these are both down here on this level of primitive beliefs, that means we're avoiding both. We don't like, want to look at death, and we don't really want to go all the way into life for fear that it's an illusion or that it, it's not really, it's going to disappoint us. Um, so Mary's whole thing is falling apart. We walk around, a lot of us, with a kind of unease dissonance, but when something like what happened to this community happens, it's a violent, uh, a violent disorienting experience. Um, what, she, what happens for her in that moment is a reconciliation of those beliefs, a reconciliation that um, things stick around, things go away, And yet, things stick around, things are looking up, things go downhill, but that's not the end. There's, uh, I'm not the end. The end of me has not happened. Um, my name is spoken, my pain is seen. Um, when a... Uh, They've done studies with little kids. This is, sounds really cruel. I'm not going to try it on my own. They tell the kids, uh, well, I don't know if there's been a scientific study, but the social psychologist I was reading tried it on his own kids. He has two daughters, and he, they were annoying him. They weren't being quiet. So he, to try to like distract them from being annoying and fighting, he called them by each other's names. And uh, so it was like Annie and Susie, and he's like, Susie and Annie, and they, first they thought it was fun, but after five or 10 minutes, they started to get nervous, and they started to panic and freak out. Like, wait, this isn't real, right, Dad? Like, I'm still Susie, right? I'm still, I'm still Annie. Um, this, and, and this happens, uh, apparently other people who have tried this cruel, horrible experiment, um, this happens, that um, one of our deepest unconscious fears that we walk around with is um, that we, uh, this core belief that we continue um, is not so reliable after all. Um, so something about Jesus saying 
Mary's name uh, is related to her faith suddenly in the resurrection. And when she goes and tells, so Mary's the first preacher. Um, someone could explain to me how the Catholic Church got the fact that women can't preach. She's the first preacher. She tells the other disciples, um, I have seen the Lord. I have seen not the teacher, but the Lord. I have seen the same word they use in the Old Testament, the Greek translation for um, Yahweh. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the one who made and gives all of reality. I've seen that the mystery, the mysterious source, sees and loves us through us falling apart, is here with us um, in our pain and our uh, being turned upside down. And the good news is that um, we don't have to just rely on the testimony of this woman. We don't have to just believe this woman. Imagine that, believing a woman. Um, we don't have to just believe this woman that she saw that truth. Um, but we have each other here who can witness to that truth now, where we can see what we can um, be for each other. Um, the one who sees, who asks, why are you crying? I see you. Tim, <laughs> Ari, Liz, I see you, Caroline. I see you, um, and I'm here when you're falling apart. Um, we don't have to just dimly hope that that's real. We can make it real here. Amen.